Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Our prominent environmentalist groups working on behalf of foreign powers. And wouldn't that mean they have to declare it under the Foreign Agents Registration Act? That is the question that Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, and Representative James Comer, Republican of Kentucky and chairman of the House Oversight Committee, are asking in light of some group's penchant for criticizing the United States while going easy on the People's Republic of China. Joining me to discuss these concerns are my colleagues Sarah Lee and Kevin Mooney, who wrote about Cruz and Comer's questioning for The Daily Signal. Uh, Kevin, before we begin, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what you do? Uh, sure. I'm an investigative reporter with The Daily Signal at the Heritage Foundation, and I also work with the Commonwealth Foundation in Pennsylvania. It's part of the State Policy Network, and I sort of operate in two main spaces uh, as we're discussing here, the environmental advocacy movement, energy questions, and also uh, all things related to labor and organized labor and uh, the teachers' unions, just to break it down as simply as I can, and subdivisions thereof. Of course. So what's the background? What are Senator uh, Cruz and Representative Comer asking? Yeah, well, the background in some ways goes back to the Trump administration because the Foreign Agents Registration Act really dates back to, I think, 1938. Uh, of course, in that time, it, it was important for obvious reasons to, for anyone to declare yeah, their... I, th- I think they were trying to break the the pro-Nazi German, German-American bond, and then also to try to get a handle on Soviet influence as well. Well, absolutely correct. Um, And since that time, it has not been strictly enforced until the Trump administration came into office. And then you had several high-profile officials who were prosecuted for allegedly violating the FARA Act. Uh, So this is par for the course. You know, if you're going to enforce it evenly, you have to take a hard look at advocacy groups that have strong, palpable ties to hostile foreign powers, with China being at the top of that list and certainly Mother Russia in the equation, too. So who's... who's supposed to register like at what point do you do you trigger that you have to declare these things to the government yeah well there could be benign reasons for doing it i basically if you're lobbying on behalf of a foreign government and pursuing a policy angle with taking stage direction if you will from from foreign power uh it's sort of falls under the category of openness and transparency uh there are members of Congress who are registered under FARA for organizing student exchange programs or trade initiatives that are basically benign, but they put their cards on the table and say, yes, I'm advocating for a foreign government that I think has congenial relations, and I think this is mutually beneficial. So it's a way of sort of avoiding the subterfuge. Um, with some of the green groups, with the Natural Resources Defense Council standing at the top of it, I think, there's a little bit of me that thinks you protest too much. Uh, they'll deny operating as a foreign agent, but they have a strong presence in Beijing, closely tied in with top government officials in, in, in Beijing. And as you pointed out, you have to search high and low, and you will never, ever see the NRDC criticize China's environmental record, yet they're always sort of operating from a blame America first perspective. So uh, maybe they're operating, you know, from their point of view, out of ideological reasons, and their interests just happen to converge with China's. Uh, but by any reasonable metric, they should have to register. And it's refreshing to see the Senate finally pick this up. There have been House investigations in the past, but I think the entrance of Ted Cruz, I think, changes the, dyna- the dynamic for the better. Uh Sarah, do you have any? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, hi, Kevin. Thanks sure. for, for coming on with us. Hi. Um, so, yeah, your, your article in the Daily Signal was excellent. It's very uh, dense. It has a lot of information in it, um, and everyone should read it. We will link it so that you can read it. 
But one of the things as a sort of, I try to step back, you know, we in the think tank world, we kind of already know these issues. And so when we, when we talk about them, we're talking about them in terms that we, we all kind of already understand. Sure. And so I think we leave some things out when sort of just the average American who may not know as much about it is trying to understand what's going on. So my question is, what is the sort of gain to a, to a country like China um, and your and your article goes into detail about how some of the um, National Resources Defense Council employees in the China office actually have overt ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, what is the gain to China to to sort of have this relationship? In other words, in practical terms, what are they getting out of it, and how and how is that negatively affecting the United? The States? overarching goal, I think, operating through these groups particularly, is to constrain American energy and particularly constrain okay. American domestic energy production. Um, I'll give you just one example out of many that's very recent. Um, for years, a lot of progressive politicians have tried to coerce Pennsylvania into joining the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which is basically a carbon tax plan um, modeled after Paris and Kyoto, uh, sort of a cap and trade scheme. Um, it's tied up in the courts, so Pennsylvania is not participating. Uh, but the groups that are involved in the litigation to force Pennsylvania in include the Natural Resources Defense Council, the Sierra Club, and groups that have been identified as potential foreign agents. That's important because the Marcellus Shale fits in Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, the Marcellus Shale standing alone in Pennsylvania is, uh, I think, number two only to Texas in terms of energy production for the states. So you can see the benefit to China uh, by putting the screws to domestic uh, uh, American oil and gas production. That's one of the overarching goals. But, of course, you can't separate the energy question from national security questions, too. Uh, these groups have all been complicit in launching lawsuits against the U.S. military under the, under the guise of environmental protection or protecting a species under the Endangered Species Act. But you'll notice they never needle China for military exercises, like ripping up their islands off the South Pacific, um, you know, in, 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 to advance some of their own military initiatives. So it's very one-sided in terms of how they criticize uh, the two countries' environmental records. Is it just China? I mean, with the environmentalists? Because, I mean, I think right now the UN is having its annual... Right. All the, all the people fly to somewhere to talk about how bad global warming is in Dubai, which obviously is what it is because of mineral resources. Right, right. Uh, and then you have, you know, countries like Qatar, uh, Russia, uh, that have uh, an interest in suppressing uh, American energy production, either for geostrategic or for simple, fis simple economic reasons. Are they believed to be involved in uh, well, certainly with Russia movement? Yes, uh, the, the connection with Russia is quite palpable. In fact, there's a very palpable money trail from Russia to uh, the Sea Change Foundation and also the Energy Foundation, which are both based in San Francisco and California. There was a long history of money laundering that the Russians are just very good at in overseas locations, and they sort of built that apparatus on top of an existing financial structure. So if you talk to the NRDC or the Sierra Club, they won't deny, you know, what they don't deny is interest. They don't deny getting money from these left-leaning foundations, and the foundations don't deny getting funding from overseas. Um, so I, I think in some ways, maybe easier is not the right word, but there's a more palpable, obvious financial trail with a country like Russia. Uh, and, and their ambitions for cutting off um, American natural gas exports would be very obvious because they want to keep Europe, you know, dependent on their own energy. That's a very hot topic right now. Right. That's, that's, been, a, that's been a big deal because a lot of sure. Europeans have tried to stop importing Russian gas after the invasion of Ukraine. And one of the reasons they can do that is that we are now exporting liquefied natural gas. 
You know, in fact, that came up. I'm glad you mentioned the UN meeting at one of the previous UN meetings in Poland, which I think goes back to 2019. Uh, you know, our group had an exchange with some Polish officials about Russian funding of self-described environmental groups that were trying to shut down coal, Polish coal or Polish, Polish energy. Uh, and their answer to that is, well, yeah, you know, it's only the naive Americans who don't understand that. We know that's happening. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is this is not a new phenomenon. I do think recently the, te- the attention has moved more to China, um, I think, just in light of some recent events, but also. Uh, it, it's it, a little more difficult to trace the finances. Uh, I think if you really look at the legal strategies, like I say, look at those lawsuits that those green groups launch against you. You call it lawfare is the name that's used by some Navy people. Like, you know, apparently only American submarines are dangerous to whales or porpoises, not Chinese submarines. You, know, you can completely unpackage that. But it is, they're, they're using our own cumbersome environmental laws and own litigation network to constrain and restrict and undermine our national security and our energy. That's really the overarching strategy. So what what concrete pieces of evidence, if any, do uh, Cruz, Comer, and others who are taking an interest in potential Chinese influence into the environmentalist movement, what are they what are they hanging their hats on? Well, I think a lot of the personal relationships between groups like the NRDC and Chinese communist officials, they go into good detail in the joint letter they sent over the attorney general, who, as far as I know, hasn't really responded. So, you know, Merrick Garland's not exactly leading the charge at this point. Suddenly they've lost interest in, in enforcing FARA. But I think you look at the personal relationships and the legal relationships. Look at the law firms that represent the NRDC and other groups and where they're based, their relationships in Hong Kong and in China. So I think it's, it's the personal connections, the legal connections, as opposed to overt financial connections. Um, and uh, the NRDC doesn't exa- exactly deny uh, operating as an advocate for some Chinese initiatives. Um, you know, a lot of their grant money is, is, is done with an eye toward, you know, Chinese coal, uh, Chinese energy production. Uh, they're supposedly going to cut down on pollution in China, but who knows how that money's really being used. So they, that's part of the financial And every strategy. statistic that comes out of China anyway is suspect. Of course, of course, yeah. You know, and like I say, with the current UN meeting, you'll 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 see an, uh, the whole new blame America first approach, you know, keeping America locked into the Paris Treaty, while China, of course, will technically be a member, but not really observer or abide by any of the rules. So the whole point of these international international meetings and this international network is really to understand undermine the geopolitical standing of the United States. And unfortunately, they have friends in high places. The NRDC has a lot of influence in the Biden White House. Yeah, and it does make you sort of question why on earth would any United States president be interested in constraining the energy production of the United States, right? It's you go into detail in your article as well about how that will negatively affect uh, the average American in terms of the higher. I mean, cost I mean whatever, of energy, whatever you think. Like I that. mean, let's let's put it starkly. Whatever you think of Barack Obama, his effectively benign neglect of the shale revolution during the second half of his term allowed it to, you know, you hate to say the government allowed private enterprise to do something, but the government allowed private enterprise to do something uh, by, you know, not getting in the way as forcefully as the NRDC and its friends would have liked. And that's why we can even have discussions about energy independence and, and, and you know, energy abundance because the government didn't get in the way of the private enterprise doing something. Yeah, and this feels more active, right? Like it, we knew when Biden came into office with the, you know, rolling back of of oil leases and things like that, what he was going to do on energy. But it's definitely, as you said, Mike, it was a benign neglect versus this sort of active attempt to pull back on energy. What 
Do you have any thoughts on that, Kevin? Um, well, it certainly benefited Barack Obama politically. You know, if nothing else, he was a smart politician. So he didn't run out and, you know, overtly champion the American oil and gas regime. But I think Mike said it very well. He just sort of uh, took a third way. Uh, no new regulations, but not uh, operating as an overt, overt advocate for it. But he wasn't foolish. I mean, you know, the, the it was the weakest recovery, I think, in American history under Barack Obama. And I think in many ways, and ironically, it was the natural gas revolution that saved him. And that's an important point. I will bring out one item, though, from the uh, um, from the Obama administration, which is related to this piece. But we did. Uh, I, I, this is a piece I did for the Free Beacon a while ago. Uh, FOIA records do show there was a back and forth between Chinese officials and Obama State Department officials lobbying to get the uh, the U.S. into the Paris. Uh, well, it should it wasn't called a treaty. We'll call it the Paris Accord, but in fact, it should have been called a treaty. Uh, so they certainly had their finger in the pie in terms of these. Uh, what I call anti-American international agreements that, you know, put, put us at a disadvantage while giving a boost to China. Uh, and that's very revealing. So um, a, a lot of the same groups that we're discussing here are also involved in that effort. So I would say Obama's not clean on this, but I think he's probably was a lot more savvy than the current administration. Yeah. So yeah, it's not to say that Obama's policy was good. It's just to say that the, the environmentalists within the Biden administration and who knows, perhaps even Biden himself are more aggressive, more actively restrictive than it seems like, or at least, again, this sort of my recollection of what Obama was. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's for sure. Uh, you know, it's, oh, that old Nixon thing, watch what I do, not what I say. So he may have gone out and bashed the energy industry. But in terms of what he actually did, he did not have the same onerous regulations that Biden does. Uh, think about it. I mean, just to be a little sarcastic, is there anything Joe Biden did that a foreign agent would do differently? Shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, uh, you know, restricting leases on federal land, uh, going off and begging Saudi Arabia for energy. Uh, so, you know, that's why I say it, you know, it, Didn't we also lift sanctions on Venezuela? That's right. Yeah. Let's not forget about that. So I'm sure. And do is this because do we actually believe that Biden and his cur- the current administration are actually true believers that this is somehow going to uh, make the the environment better and that we're all going to breathe cleaner air. I mean, I don't know what their actual goals are. Um, my answer to that is no. I don't think the self-described progressive environmental activists actually care about the environment because if you look at what they advocate, it's not really good for the environment. Uh, what's the alternative to a pipeline? Well, it's trucks, it's shipping, it's something with a heavier uh, environmental put- footprint by their own metrics. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the natural gas revolution, if you're concerned about emissions, you know, why would you vilify the natural gas uh, industry? We've lowered emissions further than any other industrial country without you know having joined the Paris Treaty. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's there are true believers for sure. Um, the phrase that was used uh, during the Cold War was useful idiots. I, I'm sure there, there are some of those thrown in the mix. But I think they're true believers of centralized planning and anti-constitutional initiatives. That's why. So just so so old old what. Uh what are sometimes called watermelons, green on the outside, red. That's a very good description. I can't really improve on that. Um, And they're operating in full (laughs) force. Um, Well, so what does Cruz want to do? What does he want to do in terms of Farah? How does he want to approach this? Does, does he get very specific about that? I didn't read all of his letters. Um, And I know there are several he's been, he's been on. Yeah. Well, he's been, he's asking number one, he's asking them if they've registered, show me the evidence If they haven't registered, then please explain why and explain why we have this law. Mm -hmm. So he's sort of like playing off the uneven enforcement of the law. 
you know, uh, when, like I say, when Team Trump was in office, suddenly they were enforcing fairer for, you know, going back to Ukraine and some other questions. And, you know, maybe that was that was fair without getting into the weeds of all those cases. Uh, but in this case, you're talking about advocacy groups that are overtly undermining American interests. So if they're not foreign agents, they certainly deserve some level of scrutiny or uh, put more teeth into the fairer law. Uh, you know, maybe that we need to look at that. Uh, I know that there are some corporations that have resisted fair. And I'm not going to call them unpatriotic corporations, but they have their own financial motive and they want to negotiate these international deals. So uh, it's sort of a complicated coalition sometimes that lines up against the fair law. Um, but in- and, al- and also, I assume it gets complicated when you have an institution like the Chinese Communist Party that has its hands not only in the Chinese government, but also in large sections of the Chinese ostensibly private sector. Oh yeah, that's a that's a very powerful point to make. So no, it it, it does it, it does get complicated, but I think part of the answer is at least to uphold the spirit of the fair law to say, hey, maybe in your mind there's a benign reason for colluding with a foreign government, but at least put your cards on the table and say that's what you're doing. Uh, so I have one final question. Um, we you know we write a lot and talk a lot here at Capital Research Center about the misuse of sort of charity. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, trying to work to get policy initiatives passed, going around legislative um, attempts to, to, to get policy done and using the charitable sector to do it. I mean, this looks like an, a perfect example of that. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's very much in the wheelhouse of an outfit like Capital Research Center and this other great publication, Influence Watch, that slices and dices these groups. I mean, how are they spending and using their money? Is it for charity? Uh you know, because I mean, any group on the right that might be engaged in you know the equivalent of this, I'm sure would be crucified in the press. So there is that double standard. All right. Well, Kevin, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to promote to our listeners? Uh, I would just say, you know, the, the old phrases follow the money. Um, there's an incestuous relationship between all these groups, like the climate, uh, the, the climate imperative network, for example, donates to the NRDC. So you can't mention one group without mentioning all of them. There is a whole network out there. Uh, the other the group that we haven't mentioned here is the Arabella network, uh, which has its finger in the pie. The Windward Fund, which is vo- mostly focused on green activism, does not get as much attention, but is very much a part of that behemoth, uh, which is why I'm glad we were able to pump this out, because they certainly deserve more scrutiny. Yeah, anything Arabella related, we are certainly interested in talking about. And you did mention yeah. that in your article. Yeah, there's right one group. They have a project. Offhand, the name escapes me, but they, you know, they create these different projects. They're really all part of the Arabella network, um, and they're very much a part of this network. I think with the NRDC standing at the top. So, unfortunately, I have no good news to report except to say I hope that there's a change in policy. I can document all the bad things that are going on. I wish I could offer a solution, other than I just hope that there's a real awakening and a real sea change in terms of public policy and. Uh, maybe a president who is an advocate for the United States, you know, kind of like, like an old fashioned approach. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again to my colleague, Sarah Lee and Kevin Mooney, whose article for daily signal, we will include in today's show notes for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.